tying your brewery's name to a defunct beer from a defunct bar. Right. Not necessarily the best, you know, if you're a, 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 if, if you're a person who uh, deals in... Uh, I don't know what you're trying to say. Right? <laughs> Where are you going with this? It's all right. You can pull the ripcord if you need to. We can move on. That's why we have post-editing. <laughs> if, you're, if you're a person who's... Uh, oh, my God. Like, baseball players are... Uh, Playing baseball? <laughs> <laughs> they worry about the socks they wear. Superstitious. 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 Yes. There you go. Cheers. You've stumbled on into the Tap Takeover podcast. Few breweries have taken such a circuitous route to the space they are in today than has Hop Butcher for the World Brewery in Chicago, Illinois. I'm your host, Alex, here with the Tap Takeover Podcast, and we have taken the show on the road again. We'll be talking all things hops in today's podcast with a little Carl Sandburg poetry, some award-winning label art discussion, and the relationship between beer and baseball. Please welcome Jeremiah and Justin to the podcast. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. So uh, let's go around the horn and put some voices with the names. Go ahead and give us your name and uh, your favorite beer style. I'll start. My name is Justin Miller. I'm the head brewer here at Hot Butcher for the World. And I have to say that my favorite beer style kind of changes with the season. But the one I always go back to and that I've been really digging lately has been barley wine. Nice. Really been digging barley wine. Nice. nice. Uh, Jeremiah, co-founder of Hot Butcher for the World. And I'm going to go with uh, Session Pales. Anything that's under five percent, fruity, hoppy, crisp, refreshing. I'd sit down with six of those. To Justin's point, I also change with the weather. When it gets colder, I like something dark, a little bigger, and every, everything in between. So I am Jesus, and I think everybody knows that I like big beers, and I'm the weirdo that likes pumpkin beers. And uh, I'm Alex again, and my favorite beer style is the IPA. So I think I'm in the right place today. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> I'm Jim, and right now I'm in the fruited lambics. Just nice, something nice, crisp and dry. Jim's the oddball. So let's get into it. Tell us a little bit about your own beer journeys, your own own personal beer journeys. What uh, what sort of beers kind of got you excited about the craft industry, you know, at the very beginning? Three Floyd's Gumball Head. I feel like there'd be a lot of people out there in this industry that would say something that has something to do with Three Floyd's. That was kind of the aha beer for Jude and I. As as with most of us, whether you're from Wisconsin or not, you're drinking some American light lagers at some point in your life, right? And then you then you decide to try something new that's flavorful. And you know, I had been drinking a lot of Rolling Rock and Coors Light before that, but Gumball Head seemed like a funny enough name, and it it said American wheat, and I was dug some some wheat beers coming from wisconsin and loving on everything new glarus does and i tried it and it blew my blew my mind and that kind of snowballed into a number of other beer experiences but that was certainly the one that really turned my beer drinking world on its head so for me it was not three floyds um <laughs> there's actually a funny story about that is, uh, my cousin was really into three floyds and i had just turned 21 and uh, he brought me like a mixed six pack of Three Floyds that I had in my fridge. And I, I was at my apartment in college and we were busting open these, these uh, Three Floyds bottles. And I was just like, what is this? They, they all taste the same. And it was my first time really <laughs> experiencing like extremely, well, I, would, I don't want to say extremely now that I know that it wasn't that hoppy. Um, but at the time it was just roasting my palate. And I'm just like, what is this? Like, this is so weird. Obviously I don't feel the same way now. I've grown to love hops and 
IPA is probably my second favorite style. After that Three Floyds incident, I knew I knew that like there was something there that was like super unique that I wanted to keep keep trying. So there was a pub right outside one of my uh, classrooms in Chicago, and I would have a night class. So me and my buddies would go to the pub right after, and it's uh, the world famous Miller Pub in Chicago, and they had this Hefeweizen on tap. And it was Weinstefaner Hefeweiss, like the, the world's oldest brewery, in quotes, you know. And I think that might actually be the world's oldest brewery, too. I tried their Hefeweizen. That's when it kind of changed for me. I was like, this is fantastic. I started going to the store, picking up six packs of it, like, weekly. And then, you know, from there, it branched out into wit beers. And from wit beers, it branched out into pale ales. And then, slowly, I was growing my palate to sort of be able to sneak through that, that bitterness, you know. Start unlocking the flavor of hops and... Ever since then, it's it's just been a kind of a love story. <laughs> it's hard to go back once no, you, once you go hops. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Along with uh, your beer history, tell us a little bit about where you guys are from and how I ended up here. here. I uh, I grew up in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. So there's some Wisconsin roots there. I went to school in Madison in another life. I uh, went through kind of a business sports marketing type career. So when I moved down to Chicago in 2005, it was to to work with the Chicago Rush arena football team and intern with the Bears, which caused a lot of questions because mm. being from Wisconsin, working for the Bears, still yes. being a Packers <laughs> fan, I had to answer that question a lot. But they did help me break into sports, you know, in terms of that industry and still have a lot of love for sports marketing, but obviously caught the beer bug and was home brewing and turned that into kind of a career in in beer which has has surpassed you know anything that that i had kind of dreamt of in the sports marketing world so mad love for wisconsin madison <laughs> milwaukee sheboygan kind of the trifecta there of of uh all my old stomping grounds but yeah i've been here since uh 2005 so 13 years so I was uh, I was born in Georgia actually, and I've been living in Illinois since 2001. So most of my life has been in Illinois. That's really all I remember. I started out. I went to college. I have a bachelor's of science from DePaul University in computer game development. That's something I was super passionate about, super into, and it's still something that I I definitely spend some of my free time doing. I don't really make a lot of games anymore because it's it's very tough work and takes a big team and stuff like that, and it's very time consuming. I uh, graduated from college. I had been working at this uh, this deli that served a lot of craft beer and wine, and I kind of was indulging my passion that way. Started homebrewing once I was out of college. I was looking for a game dev job, and I was probably sending out like 30 plus applications a day. I happened to be at this beer festival, the Barrington Beer Festival, after just trying Juicy from uh, Sean over at the Ram in Schaumburg, and I happened to run into him at the festival, and I, I was really I, I thought that it was one of the first like actual New England styles done outside of New England that I really had a chance to try so I told him that and uh, we were chatting about it and I asked him about the ingredients and like some things that I thought could be changed on it and stuff like that and he was like wow he's like I've never never told anyone this before and he starts telling me the recipe and stuff and we uh, we chat we go back and forth and uh, I see him a couple times later at the fest and uh, you know we had had a couple beers and we were chatting about like beer and uh, ideas for recipes and stuff like that and he's like what are you doing right now and I'm like working two part-time jobs, trying to find a full-time job for what I went to school for. And he's like, come brew for me. He's like, we need an assistant brewer. So yeah, that's how I got my start. It was kind of the craziest, most unexpected thing. Yeah, here we are now. It's crazy. So were you home brewing already at that point? Yeah, I was, but only for like a year and a half. And I had only like 20 batches under my belt, but I had already been like super into doing like crazy things. There's a a guy that I want to give a shout out to named Gino Kenny, who runs Gino's Fine Wine and Spirits in uh, Elgin that I was homebrewing with. And this guy 
was obsessed with food concept beers, and he still is. So we were, we were doing a lot of really fun stuff that sort of helped me bridle that creativity for craft brewing and just different kinds of ways you could use ingredients. And that's really what that's really what got me here. So that festival approach seems to work well for Justin because the first time I met him when it became <laughs> pretty evident that Jude and I were excited about moving forward and hiring a brewer and really wanting that person to be the right person, but also just kind of like fit in with the culture that we were trying to establish as much as we could with two people, right? Uh, as we built that team and he came up to us at the Oak Park Microbrew review last year and was just kind of geeking out over some of the experimental hops that <laughs> we had used but that we you know continued to explore on and yeah they just kind of stuck in our brain you know when someone can get excited about the same things you get excited about it, it makes conversation easy you know so i'm not surprised to hear and that's the first time i've heard the story about how he got the job at the <laughs> ram but it's not a surprise to me at all to hear that that's that's kind of you know that that was part of his story so super cool yeah a little breaking news for uh, jeremiah yeah. today. <laughs> and a uh, pro tip for any job applicants out there go and get your potential employers drunk first yes and then <laughs> yes, then yes. Talk about the job. target them at a beer festival <laughs> and go ask for a poor test just, just let your passion run free at the festival you know so the question that we love to ask you know since we are the tap takeover podcast if you can take over the taps of the tap room at the tap takeover podcast what beers would you bring how would they tell your story and Jeremiah already brought a case of beer out, so we're going <laughs> to actually interweave this throughout the whole episode. So what are we going to start with here? Right on. So this is Blazed Orange. We wanted you guys to try this because when we rebooted this beer, this is the second time we brewed it, but it's, it is very different. First time we brewed it with Mandarina, Bavaria, and Citra in a completely different yeast strain. This time it's on our house strain. It's Citra and Simcoe, as the name implies, Blazed Orange, like we wanted to taste we wanted it to taste a lot like oranges, right? Citrus, citrus part of that hop bill. And, and we really feel like when we can this beer, we nailed it. And, and the response that we've gotten thus far has been super positive. Positive enough that we kind of got that inkling that maybe we should bring this back a little bit more frequently than we bring you know, most of our beers back. And we can kind of talk about that strategy too. But the, the very, very backstory about this beer was when we applied for our self-distro license for Wisconsin, I had the crazy idea that we would brew a beer just for Wisconsin. And I thought Rockin'. Blazed Orange sounded like, you know, or that Blazed Orange, in. yeah. Yeah, that totally um, fit in. In, in, a, in. in a completely respectful way, like coming from there knowing like that that was a big part of like my upbringing and my family and whatnot. And then we very quickly ran into the awesome problem of just not even having enough beer to satisfy some of the local accounts we had established. And that plan to only do a beer for Wisconsin got scrapped, although we did start pushing a little bit of beer over the border into a couple accounts, which was, was fun. And we plan to, you know, build on that. But that was kind of the, con you know, the original concept of how we came up with the name. And this is actually two months old right now. So it's still within code, but even though it was one of our older versions of the New England style double, we wanted you to at least try it because who knows, it might be a month, it might be six months before we make it again. But we're really proud of it. Even with two months of age on it, we think it's holding up really well. We're proud and excited to share that dissolved oxygen readings that we get when we can are, are pretty fantastic. So that, that gives us a little more confidence in terms of putting beer that's not only two weeks old, but sometimes two months, two and a half months in front of people like yourself with discerning palates. And, you know, you've certainly tried a lot of beer. So, you know, we, uh, we have other beers to show you here, but I wanted to start with this one. 
And, you know, I, I will say it's really interesting. Normally, these beers fall off really quickly. Yeah. You know, we know this about the, the New England-style IPA. And it's what people really go for. It's what's really kind of driving the uh, the local markets mm-hmm. because you can't just get a West Coast, an actual, you know, beer from the West Coast that's a New England-style or a beer from the East Coast that's a New England-style. You can't necessarily get those through a distribution network as fast as you probably need to drink those. And so for this to have held on as well as it has, it, and it's really coming in nicely, Hazy's you can kind of talk about the taste, but it's uh, it's got all that orange, it, like you were talking about. Uh, I think the the interplay between the hops that you guys chose to use and the uh, and the malt, the grain, yeah. is it's pretty exceptional. Thank uh, you. Yeah, I got to tip my hat on to you guys on this one. Thank you. Yeah. Just, uh, what, what are you getting on the flavor end? Yeah, the citrus is definitely there, and I'm very, very curious to taste it fresh because it would have that, I can imagine that little bit extra, that citrus bite, you know? It pops yeah. really nicely. Definitely, it doesn't taste like an old beer. And I kind of want to go into the strategy of just canning. Mm-hmm. You can everything, right? Yep. So, Even the 10% Imperial Coffee Stout. And what, what is the <laughs> ABV of this one? Uh, 6.5. Yep, 6.5. So I was going to say it seems really low, but well, that's kind of scary. We're, we're typically playing between 5 and 3 quarter and 7.5. And so most of our, uh, we're at the lower end of what one would consider a double IPA. And in fact, I think that some of our favorite accounts are like, I'm not calling that a double. It's a 7.5. And, and I'm like, eh, if you look at BJCP, 7.5 is a double. Um, so it, it, it's more like we played around with that, that ABV range quite a bit. We were at 8 for a while. We tried 6, 6.5, six 7. And we really liked the range that we ended up in. So you'll see us sometimes do like a 6.5 in the style. You'll see us do 7.5. We'll pop up to 8 here and then. It all kind of depends on the ingredients, the beer, really what, what we're going for. So. Yeah, for me, it's super smooth. Uh, still getting a lot of, I want to say tangerine mm-hmm. is why I'm getting that orange grapefruit from the, uh, like the Simcoe and... Citra. Citra. To talk about uh, 60 days for being really old. I mean, we're talking like this is a three-year-old, you know, aged know. stout. <laughs> uh, it's still coming across great, though. Thank you. It's a dangerous path when you get into talking about how two months is really old for <laughs> any style of beer. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, there's... Anything that you're wanting to exhibit fresh hop flavor and aroma and you want as fresh as possible, right? Um, which is part of the reason that we hold on so tightly to our self-distro rights, both in Illinois and Wisconsin. And, you know, as we look to grow beyond that, we're going to have to find the right third-party distributor partners that believe in the same strategy of freshness and hold the accounts accountable for you know how long they let it sit on their shelf there are some distributors out there that i think would be as anal retentive as we are about really throttling how many cases they buy and try to sell because we want them to move through it and and maybe i'm jumping ahead here but part of the exciting part about our us tripling our capacity was that we aren't just max capacity you know justin's not canning out of a, a fermenter and then filling it the next day maybe a couple times in the year but like we essentially built our production schedule so that we we can kick out four unique beers a month but that we're separating it by two weeks so that we give our accounts two weeks to move through whatever we pushed out and then we can hit them with another fresh drop of two different beers. And we really like that strategy because it does, it plays well with the styles we're putting out there, right? So how many cases do you think you could sell through in two weeks? And I feel like with most breweries and God bless flagships, like I have all the respect in the world for flagships, even though we don't have one, you know, it, sometimes you find an account that, that grabs on to a specific brand and then it's like, give me 40 cases or, you know, give me 20. And it might take them a while to work through that. And, th- and that works too. It just it didn't seem like that's who we were. 
So we're trying to find that sweet spot and it's different for every account. How many, you know, how many can you move through until we can hit you with two different ones? Yeah, because there can be micro localization where certain region city just doesn't like IPAs. They're right. maybe more a malt for population for whatever reason. They love Oktoberfest. They love yep. barley wines that mm-hmm. are just big malt bombs, and they don't drink IPAs. Right. Uh, so how do you manage all that with uh, without a distributor that's really going to take care of you? I think most buyers are are in touch with their market and their customers so that I don't know that we've ever encountered a, a buyer who's like, give me 10 cases knowing he could only sell through two. Um, so I think typically it's the other way, right? They play it safe at first. Like before, maybe when we add them before we do, they're like, give us one or two cases, you know, and then we drop one or two and then they sell through it. And then the next time we ask, maybe it's three or four. And we try to organically grow that so that we're not just starting at 20 and then working back. So we try to be mindful of that. And it is, it, it, it you know, it maybe is unconventional in the sense that any account that sells through something is going to say, give me more, 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 right? Like give me as much as I could possibly sell. Mm-hmm. But I don't think every brewery out there is releasing four unique beers a month or really churning through as many many new beers as we are and you know plan to continue doing for whatever small segment of that is unique to us that that gets us excited about you know doing what we do because there's just so many ideas so many hop combinations so many beer names so many ingredients out there that we haven't even got to yet and i can't imagine making the same beer over and over and over again and never getting to those ingredients and and again that kind of ties back to what you know, how we met Justin, you know, like how, do, how many people are you going to talk to that are going to geek out over a hop that doesn't even have a name yet? Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. HBC 655. Yeah. HBC, that stuff's awesome, HBC 472 oh. is the one that we were geeking out about. <laughs> yeah. And that's the one that we use in our Imperial coffee stout. And for, you know, a couple reasons is it's why we use what we use. And it, it also keeps the sourcing part of our jobs interesting, right? Because you can't contract experimental hops. So you really have to jump on them when you find them and then manage how you use them depending on how many times you want to use that beer so it keeps our jobs interesting and I, I think the uh, the plethora of ingredients that you guys use uh, really contribute well to uh, the business model that you've chosen. I mean, if you want to talk about a brewery that makes a lot of different beers, uh, look no further than Hot Butcher for the World, because you guys, your catalog is just, it's so extensive. Just uh, just scrolling through it on your website is pretty impressive, just seeing all the different, uh, the different one-offs. And, you know, like you said, you guys don't really carry a flagship beer, but... Uh, yeah, let's uh, let's get back into the beers here. It looks like you have another one for us in order yeah. to tell your tale through this tap takeover. So this is Mellotron, Light Blazed Orange. This is the second time we've brewed this beer. Light Blazed Orange, this is a reboot of the entire beer. So different yeast strain. Back when we brewed it the first time, it was very much... Uh, we were still playing around with what we wanted some of these beers to be. And we went back to our house strain, having fallen in love with, with that strain, London 3, and really knowing how to manipulate that, where, where it's going to start, where it's going to stop, how it's going to taste, and really letting the hops or the hop combination drive the ship. Yeah, what so, is the uh, hop combination in this one? Uh, this one's Ozaka, Motueka, and Simcoe. Nice. Uh, the first time we did it, it was just Ozaka. Right. So we, we like those hops. We like the opportunity to use single hop approaches with beers. But sometimes, depending on the oil content and, and various other parts of, of what makes up a hop, they can play off each other quite nicely and result in something way more flavorful or aromatic than maybe what we thought we could get out of, of just one hop. So this felt like the right move. And, and it's not worldly different than Blazed Orange, except for 
the hop combination as far as the recipe is concerned. But the way I envision this beer is kind of the tropical to the blazed orange citrus. And then we brewed it and we got to taste it and smell it and fruit punch notes were coming out. And, you know, then I was trying to change the descriptors on the can and I was talking to Justin because we were just getting him on board at that point and we were dumping all the all the dry hops in and it was like, this, this is tropical. It's not the most like punch you in the face tropical as, as maybe you'd get out of Galaxy Bowl or, or even the Jewels, but we really felt like it was a, a, a cool interplay of the Azaka and, and Motueka and being propped up with a little bit of Simcoe. Something I want to say is that like this is this beer right here is kind of an example of why I'm so excited to be a part of this team because most of England styles, it's kind of accepted that you need to have some sort of like fruit or tropical fruit component in your beer, right? And this beer has both, but it also has this Azaka component that is super unique. Like there's a, there's an interesting, like almost pine needle grassiness in the back end that you don't normally taste in a beer like this. And I think that that's part of like what we're trying to do is like push what you can do in this style in terms of like which hops can be acceptable, which hops can't. People might say, you can't put that hop in a New England style IPA. Well, I think that that's kind of our mission statement is to say, why not? Watch you us. Know? <laughs> right. I mean, the whole basis of New England style IPA was that it broke so many boundaries. And mm-hmm. now people are just like, you know, if we can do it with that. Let's just take that style that broke boundaries and break boundaries with that as well. Right. Yeah. And, and that plays into the combinations that it plays into the experimentals. It plays into our constant change, right? It's, it's all about trying new things. And you know what? There are a lot of breweries out there that, that maybe stick with Citra, Mosaic, Galaxy, Nelson. And we do play a lot with what we call those. We call those the sexy hops or some people call them the easy button where you just throw (laughs) Citra in it and it's delicious, but we like to take risks. And we, we play within something that we think will be delicious. We're not just throwing, you know, a pickle at a wall and seeing what happens, but we're playing within what mm. we know will work by, by you better write that down. <laughs> right. Sounds That's like a, a good name. Pickle beer. Yeah. Um, wall beer. But we're switching stuff up and you know what? Uh, like the first two beers we've tried here, Blazed Orange and, and Mellotron, we tried something different and we felt it could be better. And the next time we came around to those beers, we did what we thought would make it a better beer. Yeah, for me, this is really interesting because it does have some of those nuances of a West Coast, the pine mm-hmm. dank with that kind of passion fruit, mango, tropical flavors and is definitely different. We like to ride the fence, for lack of a better term, on this style, right? It's 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 close enough to New England style to some of the things that Treehouse and Trillium and monkish and all of those guys are doing but we do like a little bit more balance than i think you would find in those beers so even locally there are breweries that are making top-notch new england style doubles that you know if you were to put them up against our beers they might be a little sweeter you know less balanced less bitter and those are delicious too i think you find two or three maybe even four different kinds of beer drinkers within the style of new england style some that like it as sweet as possible some that like it a little more bitter some that like it in between but we like having a little bit of that I think we, we, we termed it at one point like a boomerang flavor and bitterness where like you get the softness of the water, you get the juiciness, but you also get enough balance in there that you you could drink a couple of these and not feel like you just drank a sugar bomb. If you scroll through our untapped check-ins, like you might see some people, you know, say, oh gosh, bitter, you know, or, oh, it's too sweet. And it's always, it's, a, it's entertaining to roll through what people think on untapped because you can find two 
you know, two four and a half out of five star check-ins that acknowledge the quality of the beer and say completely opposite things about what they might prefer. Or like, a, you know, a three and a half and then a five. And it's like juice bomb, delicious, and then too bitter. And, and you really kind of have to develop a, a numbness to that where you read it, you acknowledge it, you appreciate someone's feedback, but you also acknowledge that there are, are so many subjective tastes as it comes to beer. What what tastes like a five out of five to one person might be a three and a half or a two and a half to somebody else. But thankfully, we've we've found our groove making beers and with hop combinations and ingredients that we we love to drink. That a large amount of, a large enough amount of people out there enjoy drinking enough that you know our our beers tend to tend to move quickly, which is always fun to see. And that's one of the fun things about being in the craft beer industry is pros as opposed to the macro beer industry right uh, with macro you're, you're kind of shooting for the lowest common denominator what is the most amount of people going to like in any given beer and then you just produce the shit out of it yep. uh, with, with what you guys are doing it's it's a little more fun you guys are able to experiment more with the hops experiment more with the malts what uh, i guess uh, the question is what are the challenges as far as bringing out some of the best flavors in those hops. Is it about using a different malt? Is it about using different hops with different hops? What, what have you found is the, uh, the most effective way to get the flavor profiles that you guys are looking for? So as, as with any new style, I think that there requires a, a bit of dialing in, right? And, and you know, every, every brewer could list off a couple examples where they would have done something differently in retrospect. We certainly played around with the style enough to really do two things. One, you know, make the most delicious version of that style we could, but two, kind of find an approach of that that is unique to us, right? Where people take a swig of a can, whether it's blind tasting or not, and they let that burp out and they're like, that's that hot butcher burp, you know, like that's the flavor that there's some common denominators here of this beer that, that feel like a hot butcher beer. We certainly tweak our grain bills quite a bit over the years. I think with this style right now, we've kind of settled in a general parameter where we're really letting the hops shine and, and kind of make the difference, you know, say between blazed orange and the jewels, let the hops tell the, the difference and, and show that, show us that too. Like this is what Vic secret and mosaic tastes like versus Citra and Simcoe on essentially the same grain bill. When we start jumping to other beers, like our, our clean American, you know, our clear beers, right? The, the more traditional IPAs, like your mm-hmm. wish is granted, you'll still find similar styles in that you can find some common denominators, but you're also going to notice some other differences. And I could tell you those differences, you know, base grains are different. We're using different specialties. We're, we're maybe using a blend of a base grain instead of just straight two row, straight pale, straight pills. And I think we've found a, a level of excitement with, with a blend between, you know, two row and, and pills and certain other adjuncts, flaked oats, flaked barley, uh, oat malt wheat heavy you know heavy heavy in wheat and some of that plays back to my upbringing as far as like drinking new <laughs> beers and german wheats like you know justin was talking about but we really found some ingredients we we fell in love with and one of them specifically which is you know a little bit more expensive but worth every penny you know with any small brewer you kind of put some product out there that might be a couple bucks more expensive than you know a, a pack of miller light or, or coors light or whatever and you kind of tell that story and say hey we're using local ingredients. We're using expensive hops. That's why the price is a little bit higher. Um, and we felt as producers that we should 
look the other way as well, right? You know, why we shouldn't be buying the cheapest malts that are delicious. We should buy the bombest white wheat malt we can find. And uh, one of those, there's a, a maltster out in Colorado called Troubadour that, that uh, works with a local farmer out there. It's called Antero White Wheat. And it is a little bit more expensive, but when we started using that, we, we noticed a discernible difference in the quality of that, that, that fruity but creamy wheat character. And now we order that stuff by the pallet. And it's in almost every beer we do, even, even the non-hazy type beers. You're taking us on quite a little journey here. We started out with the Blaze Orange, then the Mellotron. Yep. And you did mention that Blaze Orange was the one that was the oldest one here. But now we're going to move on to your freshest. The freshest. Yeah, yeah, so I, the Mellotron is a, a tad bit newer than Blazed Oranges, but the Jewels was actually canned last week. So this this run was uh, April fresh. 4th. Yeah. All right, so 10 days ago. And then the next beer is going to be directly <laughs> out of the bright tank. Yep. Because that's yeah, you know, how we really only take wa- our IPAs here. I walked back there to grab Justin, and he was uh, he was pulling a picture of something that's getting canned on Tuesday and Wednesday because he wanted you guys to try it. And I was like, I don't know, man. I got six beers in this box. These guys got to drive home to Milwaukee. Uh, we'll so only right. one of us has to drive home. <laughs> right, right. So we'll, uh, we'll we'll whether it's on the podcast or not, we'll we'll let you try what's what's uh, getting ready to go. But you know, freshness is paramount to what we do. Part of it because of the styles you know, or style that we play in pretty heavily uh, the other part was that being self distributors there are there are several benefits to that one or our favorite being the fact that like when we make deliveries like you get a chance to meet the people buying your beer and I mean like the customers in the stores that are buying the beer from us because that's really cool we try to go out of our way to be approachable and talk with everyone on social media and when we're making these beer drops uh, you know, they're like, hey, did you drop at Binnie's in Elmwood Park yet? Did you drop at Schaumburg? And we're having that conversation with them very gratefully thinking like, hey, if you guys are willing to chase our beer down and spend your hard-earned money on our beer, like the least we can do is help you find it. And if you geek out over beer that's still cold and it never touched a refrigerator, like it's cold from coming from the fermenter, because we, we unitank everything, coming from the fermenter into a canning machine and sealed and slapped into a four pack dropped in a case and then loaded into a car guilty as charged yeah i mean (laughs) i geek out about that when i see people posting pictures or or, or untapped check-ins and they're like this is still cold from canning day like how cool is it this or or this beer was canned three hours ago and you know we didn't know how that was gonna go going into it but after we did it a couple times and we saw how excited people got like we got excited about it and our accounts love it and so it was just something that felt important that that we continue Tell us a little bit about this specific. Yeah, so the Jewels is a Mosaic and Vic Secret double IPA. So again, maybe some slight tweaks off of our our grain bill or you know our 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 grist that we use with the previous two beers, but really just two sexy, exciting hops. Mosaic. I mean, you, it's hard to go wrong with a hop like Mosaic. It's one of my favorites. And Vic Secret, which this is the first time we've used Vic Secret. To us, we interpreted after a rub and kind of doing a little reading online about the hop that it's very much like a, it's similar to Galaxy. I don't like calling it Galaxy Light, but it is maybe a, hair, a touch lighter on those those passion fruits, but, but they're still very much there. Uh, so we've been wanting to use the hop for a while. We got our hands on some and we thought, what what better hop to pair it with than, than Mosaic? And the feedback to this to this beer has been phenomenal. Kind of made made us feel bad that we only kicked out thirty barrels of it. So I think we're going to have to brew it again soon. <laughs> yeah. So not to give away any state secrets here, but how do you source some of your more rare hops? 
Yeah, well, yeah. I spend a lot of time asking questions and sending emails and calling people. Okay, honestly. Um, so, are you the guy like following the hop truck around? No, no, it's off? it's a lot of emailing and calling. You know, we have some really awesome relationships with some really awesome suppliers, right? And and sometimes we get to interact with the farmers themselves. But when you get to know, you know, some of the people that sell hops or that sell malt, you know, they're they're just as excited about beer as we are. So you get to know them. It's good to pick up the phone every now and then. It's good to check in on a random Tuesday just because and say, hey, I know this is crazy, but do you guys have any Galaxy? Do you have any Nelson? And you'd be surprised sometimes they say yes. Um, the, the hop market is kind of a game, right? Like they have to hold on to what, what's been promised. But if that brewer just decides that they can't use all of it, they got to sell it. And and people like us, like Jude and I and Justin, like we have to have a portion of our buying habits be a little bit hoarder-esque. Because when you fight, you find it, you got you to gotta jump on it and you got to be prepared to <laughs> drop some money on as much as it takes to get it. Like we are here on the podcast as, as well as many of our listeners, is there a white whale of a hop that you haven't been able to get your hands on yet? but you really want and you really want to brew with. It's been funny because I feel like that's changed a little bit. I feel like it's been Nelson Sauvin for maybe the last five years. And just this past year, we were able to not only buy some on spot, but secure a small contract of it. And now for the life of me, over and above what we have contracted, I can't get Galaxy. And you look at some of the spot markets and it's like $30 a pound, which is insane. So there's a limit to what we're willing to pay for certain hops. And like I said, we do have some available to us. But with a beer like Galaxy Bowl, which with all due respects to our other beers, it, it, it really kind of put us on the map and like caused people to start paying more attention to our beers. That beer is 100% Galaxy hops. And we use a ton of them on a 30-barrel batch. So knowing that there's a limit to our Galaxy contracts, we have to we have to be mindful of not making that beer too frequently because then we're just out. And then at that point, we're at the mercy of the spot market. And every brewer, I think, out there is clamoring for more and more Galaxy because it's just, it's a it's the bangingest hop for lack of a better term. Additionally, you asked if there was a white whale. There are a few out there that are non-experimentals, right? So I'm constantly chasing experimentals that sound delicious and we'll always find a way to use them. Last year when when all the South African hops were commandeered, for lack of a better term, <laughs> I was able to, to find a back channel to still get some. So one of the beers that were set to brew up on the next round here, or no, we brewed them today. We brewed them this week. I brewed them um, two days ago. <laughs> uses uh, Southern Passion, which is a South African hop, and those are super exciting to us. So it is, it's not a single hop beer it's paired with some other really awesome hops but um those have always been at least the last couple of years fun to chase there's a new one out of out of australia out of a specific farm that i'm not going to name for <laughs> fear of competition oh but we anticipated getting some of this hop either late this month or early next and we were going to reboot one of the return beers to feature that hop and then we found out earlier this week that another hop that we contract from that farm, that contract, at least for this year, got canceled because the farm had like a devastating fire. So everybody's okay, which is important, which is the most important thing. Like we can do without our hops and make other plans. <laughs> like, but that has kind of put in jeopardy our ability to, to get this hop. But it, if, if you can imagine some of the hops that you've already tasted that we've already kind of named, it's in that vicinity of things, and I'm still crossing my fingers that they can do that hop, but we'll see. I emailed the, the farmer today, so. 
All right. Yeah, we have like 11 pounds of it, right? <laughs> we got none of it right now. It's completely, oh, it, we would be the first brewery in the States to use that hop if oh. if they can send it to us so. breaking news i know right hot takes right. hot take for me i've been wanting to use ever since denali became named i've wanted to use it because I, I tried this beer from uh, crystal lake brewing they had a smash beer that was denali and uh just two row pale malt i remember thinking wow this is the most intense pineapple i've ever tasted in a beer a lot of breweries like like to mention pineapple on their tasting notes but that beer was straight up fresh ripe pineapple so for me, Denali, I, I, that's been stuck in my head, and I've been wanting to brew with it. And he mentioned Southern Passion. We're actually in the same beer. We're kind of knocking both of those white whales out. Uh, it's going to have Denali, Citra, and uh, Southern Passion in it, so we're really excited about that one. It's coming nice. soon. He asked me if I had ever, or if we had ever used Denali, or if, if we had access to it, because he was excited about what that hop brings. I was like, you know what? We have a contract on that, actually. And we've used it once before, but we didn't necessarily use it to feature the pineapple. So I'm excited to see how, you know, how our different use of that uh, changes what's perceived in that hop. But that's, yeah, like he said, it's Denali, Citra, and Southern Passion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's our, our reboot of a beer called Smoke-Filled Room. So that got brewed this week, and we can let you try it. it it's not that far along, but we'll, we'll let you try it and see what you I, think. Uh, I tried it the other day, and I have to say that the first thing I notice in that beer is pineapple. So I'm really excited. I'm really excited. <laughs> so all the Denali's coming through, that's awesome. <laughs> yes. Now, now, that brings up, a, uh, I think, an interesting point. I know you probably take a break here in a minute, but, like, I just can't stop talking. And he's making faces at me, and we got puppies in the tap room. One of the things that we started thinking about is that, right, like, right now, we brew at Miskatonic, who have been gracious hosts, and thank you to them for kind of allowing us in their home. But we don't have a tap room. Right, so that's a common question we get: Is do you guys have a brewery? Yeah, sort of. It's not our brewery, but we have a place to brew. Do you have a tap room? No, um, but you should come to Miskatonic because their beers are dialed in, you know, as crazy and delicious. But we started thinking about all of our beers in a lineup, right? Like when we have six taps at our own tap room, or we have twelve taps, like we don't want everything to taste the same, right? So that that plays into our strategy of just trying a bunch of combinations and switching this up and that up. So when we are shooting to use Denali and I hear Justin talking about we really want some banging pineapple in this and then I'm talking to you guys about blazed orange and said we really want that one to bang orange and citrus and that one should be light tropical and you know this one over here should be just dank and you know so we're trying to also visualize what this is going to look like when we have more than a handful of beers to put in front of one person at one time, right? All enveloped into our own tap room. And that's that that kind of speaks to like where we came from too because we started with one 15 barrel tank at another brewery and it was like one beer a month, one beer a month. And now we're at six tanks and we're doing four different beers a month. So we're still maintaining that new churn of different ideas and, and hops, but we're still keeping in mind that when we're able to get in front of somebody and present what what Hop Butcher stands for, give them a bunch of options. We want to make sure that we're highlighting those ingredients, those fruits, those hops, those malts, and we're giving, we're showing range. And which is funny to say from a brewer that's like mostly hoppy beers, right? But like (laughs) there are so many flavors that you can derive from hops without even using fruit. And then when you start, you know, you're talking about fruit lambics, right? Like you start tossing fruit into the mix and you can completely spin all of that on its head. We have, uh, 
We have two of our darker beers here to try as well, which obviously exhibit different flavors as well. But like, you'll find us with maybe two or three dark beers in our in our lineup, and we're excited to change that. Uh, Justin also brewed a dark beer, which we'll mm. keep a lid on until we have uh, beer in cans. But I think everyone will be really excited about that as well. And again, just trying to you know convey like Justin's talents in the brew house and and what we can do so that if you don't like hoppy beers, we have we have options for you. So. I think it's pretty cool to uh, to be able to take one style and just you know take it to its furthest possible extremes, you know, in all directions, yeah. the the way that you guys are going. Thanks. Yeah, and I, I think it's fair to say that now more than ever, we're really trying to just really live up to our name. You know, we're trying to we're trying to serve up quite a variety of different flavors and profiles with hops. So yeah, and I think it. it's a it's a perfect time to take a little break. But uh, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about that name. How you guys got the name Hop Butcher? Uh, we're going to continue this uh, tap takeover. We got a few more beers on tap. All right, we are back. So let's keep it rolling here. What's the next beer, Jeremiah? Uh, your wish is granted. This is a beer that we've been brewing for a while, since even before we took a hard dive into the New England style. It is a double IPA, but it's brewed clean and is brewed with Citra and Nelson Sauvin. So it was meant to allow those two hops, Citra or Citrus side of things, to interact with the white wine element of Nelson and just be something super delicious and refreshing to drink. It's not overly bitter. Uh, you might call it West Coast. You may not. You may just call it an IPA. The feedback on this one, the first, second, and third time that we brewed it uh, was enough that when we start talking about beers that we want to put in that lineup when we have a tap room, beer that we would potentially brew a lot of and distribute, this is always part of that conversation. Speaking of Taproom, you don't have one yet, obviously, you said, mm-hmm. but you here, can you tell us a little bit about the partnership here? Yeah, so the Miskatonic guys are, are two of our, well, four, really, four or five of our really best new friends, right? The the short version of this story is that our previous situation was, was kind of falling apart, and we didn't know what we were going to do. You know, we thought we might be out of the market for a year as we tried to finance and get our own brewery open. And we still want to do that. We still want our own brewery. But we were actually pouring at Sierra Nevada Beer Camp down at Navy Pier. Josh from Miskatonic came up to to Jude and I, who we were pouring, and kind of said, hey, are you guys interested? Like, you know, we can can move some things around at our place and and allow you to, to use two of our tanks to kind of rent them from us. And Man, I can't I can't emphasize how perfect that timing was. Um, and it, you know, it took us a couple months. We were out of the market because we had to we had to situate our licenses and make sure that you know things were buttoned up. But um, it really allowed us to kind of maintain the momentum we had started over at the at the previous brewery and really take this to the next level. Um, because then you know that conversation was had of hey, we really appreciate you letting us use those two tanks, but long term, do you have plans to put more tanks in your brewery and uh, knowing what kind of space they had here and they ended up allowing us to to put four more tanks of our own into their brewery so we went from you know one 15 barrel tank to some periodic usage of a 30 or a 15 at the previous two two 30s at Miskatonic to six 30s at Miskatonic which allowed us to really stomp on the gas pedal and see what we could do so 
They've been amazing friends and amazing partners. They've been super supportive. Their beer is delicious. And as I said before, super dialed in. So we like drinking their beers. They like drinking our beers. And it's really fun to, to learn from each other because they obviously have a ton of knowledge about running a brewery and a tap room that, that we don't. But we make different beers and different styles so they can learn kind of about what we do in our process as we learn about what they do on their system and in their house. Well, getting back to your wishes, granted, it's a double IPA, but I think it's it's very approachable. Mm-hmm. Now, you have a strategy about that, right? You're making the big beers for the nerds. Tell us a little bit about that. First of all, I want to be super clear that we use the term nerd very respectfully. Oh, like us. We <laughs> We're nerds ourselves. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, we nerd out about all sorts of things. We, we, we self-identify consider- as nerds. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're in good company. Um, so yeah so you know we we want to keep it interesting right because we we don't want to get bored with what we're brewing which is you know that plays into all the different combinations of this and that that we use but we want to make a beer or beers uh, that are interesting enough for hardcore beer fans and also approachable enough for people who are maybe new to craft beer because there's a lot of talk about craft beer bubble this bubble that you know breweries are opening all over the place but truth is is that when you compare brewery growth to wine growth like no one's talking about there being too many wineries there are a lot of consumers out there right now that are still drinking american light lagers you know mass produce bud lights coors lights miller lights and and that's fine but i think similar to the conversation we had earlier about those aha moments when you put something in front of them that maybe tastes like the jewels or your wishes granted and they're used to tasting you know a light lager uh, i think chances are you know a light bulb's going to go off and and they're going to want to explore other beers that are even not hot butcher beers but if we can make a beer that you know they can turn that can around we have tasting notes all over the back of our can here that that try to convey what they're going to get out of this beer if they buy that four pack and we feel that that's helped you know because sometimes you look at a zaka motueka simcoe like a casual beer buyer is maybe doesn't know what the heck those hops mean it's that's that's complete foreign language to them. Uh, but if you turn around and you see, you know, bright citrus, tropical fruit, or, you know, live, what do we write? Fruit punch. Like that one, that one tastes like fruit punch to me. That sounds good to people who maybe haven't had those, you know, those flavors or, or aromatics in a beer. So really, like, we've, we've found our niche by writing that line in between interesting and approachable. And, and, you know, we try to be that on social media, interacting with people who are buying our beers too. Like, I, I think I said this before, but the least we can do is help you find where to buy our beer as we're distributing it. If you're willing to spend your hard earned money on our beer, like we appreciate the heck out of that. I'm really enjoying your wishes granted. This is really a throwback to the big IPAs that really got me into drinking these big hop beers. Mm. And it's kind of like a throwback to my youth. So, But I want to get into a little bit about the origin of your current name. So you were originally yeah. called something else. Yep. Uh, South before, Loop Brewing Company. All right. And before becoming a hop butcher for the world. Yep. Uh, where does that name come from? Uh, South Loop or Hot Butcher? Oh, both. both. Um, so my wife and I lived in the South Loop. And at the, at, the, at the conception of this idea, South Loop didn't have any other breweries. And we were really passionate about the neighborhood we lived in. And we wanted to be very Chicago-centric. And so we started, we kicked it off like that, right? We, we, we kicked it off brewing, although we, I think I kicked it off even before we were licensed. So it was kind of a social media-only presence. Like, hey, here's, we're a brewery in planning. <laughs> and then as we got going, you know, we started gaining some traction with a couple of the beers that we were brewing. We started to try and grow up the business a little bit and get more serious and and one of those things involved uh trademarking the name 
you know, let's own it. Let's not run into those situations because the growth of the craft beer industry at that time was such that there were breweries that were having to change their name. You, you saw brewery infighting about names of beers. And it was like, you know what, spending the money on protecting your brand or your beer names at that point felt like the right thing to do. And we tried to take that step and found out very quickly that there was a a bar that no longer exists, which is the icing on the cake. The bar that no longer exists had a house beer that was labeled South Loop Lager. And the USPTO that manages you know, patents and trademarks doesn't care whether it's a bar or a beer or a brewery. Uh, the fact that it started with South Loop and it was in the beer category meant that we couldn't we couldn't file for a trademark on South Loop Brewing Company, wow. right? So, could you even go to that defunct bar and and try and like buy it from them? We you could, know? and they were, they, you know, I approached them. They were kind of unresponsive, but mm. they weren't like they weren't coming at us. You know, they weren't like we're going to sue you if you don't stop. They were super cool, so I can't talk smack about them, even though they're not open anymore. But what the decision that Jude and I made at that point was. Even though we felt like we had put a lot of time, money, and effort into the name South Loop, it was probably the right moment. Like if we were serious about taking this brewery to the next step and, and really trying to make a career out of it and, and amp production and have a bigger presence, it was probably the responsible grown-up thing to do to you know take the take the lump, make the change, and try to maintain momentum that way rather than get you know two, three, four years down the line. You're paying thousands of dollars to put a sign on your wall and then whoops, someone's mad and upset that you use their mark. And the way Hot Butcher came about, you know, obviously sticking within that Chicago centric piece, like you hear Windy City a lot. And to us that, you know, that had been used in beers as well as brewery names. Like we wanted something that spoke true Chicago, but gritty Chicago, but was super unique, but also that resonated with people outside of the market, right? So that kind of tied back to what happens when we go into Milwaukee? And we distribute beer there. Does anyone going to care what the South Loop is or what it means? No, maybe I, not. If anything, Probably not. People right? won't buy it. Because right. Well, well plus you're, 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 <laughs> tying, you're tying your brewery's name to a defunct beer from a defunct bar. Right. If you're a superstitious person, that might not be the best way to go. A defunct beer made by a defunct brewery and tying your name to that. So you, you guys went uh, completely the opposite direction and uh, had a little poetry involved as well. Yeah. So everybody knows the the city of broad shoulders uh, part of that Carl Sandburg Chicago poem. And in my pursuit of looking for something that dripped Chicago, Carl Sandburg wasn't the only poet that I was reading and really digging into. That was one that I felt was a popular one and really spoke to me about what what it's like to live in Chicago, what what people feel about Chicago as a whole. And I wrote this down in my book of ideas. And the honest, candid answer is that Hot Butcher for the World was actually pegged to be a beer name. We had brewed a hoppy double uh, called Hot Monster of the Midway that we didn't put in cans or bottles. Like we just put it in kegs and it went over really well. And I wanted to rebrew this beer, but didn't want to get a cease and desist letter from the Bears. <laughs> and so I had been eyeing Hot Butcher for the World as the the second name for that beer. And I just kind of I kept looking at it, right? And then all the stuff that I already described with Self Loop Brewing Company, all that stuff was kind of happening at the same time. And I called Jude one day and was like, hey, I got a crazy idea. Because it's not, you know, it's not a traditional format for a brew. It's not like X and X Brewing Company or X and X Brewing. It's just hot butcher for the world. It seemed to hit all of those points that concerned me about 
growing a brewery from small to large or small to medium or whatever we end up being. It's like we can trademark this because it's available. It speaks to the type of beers we like and brew. And you know what? When, when we try to go into Milwaukee or Madison or Indiana or Southwest Michigan or wherever we end up going with our beers, we feel like people would look at Hot Butcher for the World and maybe think, I like hoppy beers. Like that's a pretty cool name. Maybe I'll give them a shot. In the same way, full circle here that I looked at gumball head and was like, that's a funny name for an, for a beer. You know, that's an American weed. I kind of like wheat beers. Like I'll try it. And, and we felt like, you know what, we can make beer that is, that, that tastes this good, right. That that's as approachable and interesting that if we could just get someone to give us a shot and crack that can open and drink it, that, you know, from there we, we could build something that, you know, that made them want to come back for more or that, you know, made him respect us or like us. So mad love for Carl Sandburg and how he described Chicago. I think that if, if you were to, uh, I, and sorry, and I didn't specify, he doesn't actually say hot butcher. He says hog butcher, right? <laughs> so that that's important to the, the part of the story. Obviously we're not brewing pigs, um, <laughs> Thank but God. hop was close enough to hog that we felt we could make that switch and people would think it was interesting and, you know, enjoyable and kind of like get a good chuckle. Like, and you know what? There are, there are some people that, that check in our beers on beer advocate or untapped or wherever and they're like weird name for a brewery <laughs> but for everyone that says that there are probably 25 30 people that are like that's a cool name for a brewery and and that that makes us feel good just uh just a couple days ago in the tap room i was brewing and i happened to walk by to grab some water in the the bar and someone stopped me and said they were kind of like quizzing me they're like do you know where your name comes from and i'm like sandberg <laughs> and they're like okay good and uh she was she really resonated with it because she i guess she reads a lot of poems and stuff like that and might be a literary major or something like that and she was uh she was super super excited about the name and all the roots chicago roots and stuff like that so it's good to know that you guys have a carl sandberg selected poems book in the brewery too so that you guys can pull that out and uh, show people the the passage as well we didn't bring that here no (laughs) no that's a that's a purely miscatonic thing and you know it kind of uh it kind of sits alone on the shelf there uh as like a very unique piece because the rest of the stuff they have there is just crazy fantasy and you know like thrillers and hp lovecraftian very unique stories to blow your mind i'm actually gonna uh, have to ask them if they bought like when we agreed to come brew here and accepted their offer if they maybe put this on the shelf out of superstition oh good yeah you brought up superstition maybe that's why this is here i thought that was your work interesting we're gonna have to (laughs) i'm gonna dig into this and get back to you later if if we ever go somewhere else or when we when we do open our own place we're gonna have to you have to buy a copy of this. Yeah, like you know, like <laughs> like one of those keep the glass offers. Like buy a beer, keep the glass, get a book by Carl Sandburg and go. all of his poems. What yeah. I'm also hearing is that we're not going to be seeing a beer called The Bears Still Suck anytime soon. No, no. Because it'll go over well Oops. in Wisconsin, I'm just saying. <laughs> FYI. There's the Wisconsin-only beer right there. Uh, so <laughs> this next beer that I just poured for you guys actually exhibits Ooh. our tie to sports, right? I think one of the things that drove us in terms of this beer but also kind of how we develop recipes and we talked a little bit about approachability and and whatnot was that how do we bridge what people do and are passionate about with our beers and one of the things that i think chicagoans and milwaukeeans and really anyone who who gets into their civic pride 
you know, sports plays a big part in a lot of people's roles, uh, or sorry, in their lives. And Chicago sports fans love their White Sox, or they love their Cubs, or they love their Bears, or Bull, uh, Black Hawks, or, you know, whatnot. So we tried to take our passion for those Chicago sports and tie them back to our beer. And this was actually the first beer we ever brewed on a license. So we got licensed, we brewed Good Rise, we're black. And my intent with the beer was pretty clear from the get-go. Our intent, Jude and I do this together, was to have it in, at the time it was U.S. Cellular Field, where the White Sox play. But I didn't know that they had set their beer plan like months, months and months prior to the season starting. So we released this beer and they were like, cool idea, but our beer program is set for the season, but let's keep in touch for next year. So we pushed it out. It's a it's a really awesome, like hoppy example of a black rye IPA, which maybe someone loves the, that style. Maybe they don't. <laughs> right. But but we, again, it's it, it's it speaks playing, to us. It's playing with those beer styles within the beer style. Yeah. Right. You know, you could take a regular black IPA, but you guys went a little rye with it. You right. Know? Right. Also, I love the label art on this one. So that is uh, it looks like the black socks. Yep. Uh, so you got a little white a little socks, ode. black socks scandal. <laughs> there is an ode there. It went over really well to the accounts that we pushed it out that weren't U.S. Cellular. Right. <laughs> and then we kept in touch and met with them the following year when they were doing their beer program. They're like, well, we got to have good rise. And that year we were maybe like one of 12 breweries that, that served craft beer at the cell. And it went over really well. It was really cool to see people checking in and taking pictures like in front of, you know, with the game and field in the background. And this is the third year of us being at, at now it's the guaranteed rate field, but we're, we're in the craft cave as well as the club level. Again, you know, it's exciting enough that baseball season is here. And then we kind of frosting on the cake that thing by, by being able to watch people drink our beer while they're at the stadium. Yeah, this is my newest favorite Cascadian Dark. Thank you. This is <laughs> awesome. And it's not like a super high ABV, which some can get. It just overpowers all the flavors. The malt that I get out of this and the rye is fantastic. It's a great grain flavor, and you meld it with the hops really fantastically. This is an eye-opener for me right now. Thank you. So so this is a great example of us using a bunch of ingredients that we're excited about, right? And, and it is probably the fifth or sixth time we've been able to brew this, the third time we've released it. That makes sense because we brewed it multiple times for, you know, for the White Sox. So we've had time to dial it in. We've had time to adjust our rye. You know, maybe the first batch of this, the rye was a little, like it was there, right? <laughs> we were like, maybe if we dial it back a little bit, you'll taste that citra more. Yep. And, and and I think that that ca- the cascade brings the grapefruit, the citra brings a little bit of orange, but it's based in that piney chocolatiness uh, that, that, but it's still smooth, right? That, that a black rye IPA or a Cascadian should have. So we're, we're really excited about this. You know, this is, uses a little Weyermann chocolate wheat. It obviously uses rye. We're using some Patagonia black pearl, which is a super dark malt out of Chile that we're really mm-hmm. excited about. So we use a ton of Brees, by the way. Shout out to Chilton, Wisconsin right there. <laughs> we, we like to use like little dips of you know, the UK or German malts and then mix them with some American malts like RAR and Brees. And we're really happy with how this turned out and and how it continues to evolve and the fact that it's available for people to drink at you know white Sox games is kind of frosting on the cakes yeah no this checks the box as you were talking about it it's uh, complex accessible it's like very anybody who wouldn't like this style would love this i think it's a very drinkable beer it's great but i want to get back to something alex referenced earlier about the label as we've been going through the journey here of your uh, your beers Tell us about the labels. Uh, just amazing. Each one looks like a piece of art. Yeah. So you guys asked about South Loop Brewing Company before. You know, when we started South Loop Brewing Company, we had our first three releases 
we had labels by three different artists. And we felt really excited about the beer that was inside of those packages, but it looked like three different breweries. And we had, uh, we, I don't have cans of it here, but we had done a collaboration with Dry Hop called Milk Stachio, which is a pistachio milk stout. And we had heard of this artist uh, named Dan Jetza, who had done a label for Three Floyds for Apocalypse Cow. Um, he had done some work for Surly as well. And we just thought, you know, he was kind of that artist, like gritty Chicago artist that we loved his unique approach to everything he did. He, he does scratch boards, so it's got this awesome texture to it. We, we kept talking about how it would be awesome to have a, you know, a Jetsa label for our own, and we reached out to him. He agreed to it. He did Milk Stachio, and it looks like this sophisticated Monopoly guy, you know, in a bowler hat, and mm -hmm. it was perfect. Like, he, he did that, and he laid it on us, and we were like, oh, my God, this is so cool. So, so that was the first one? That was the, so that was the first time we paid an artist to, to do art for any of our beers. Then we opened and got licensed, and we used uh, uh, Matthew Lafleur, who did this one, and we used Alexis uh, Molds, who did this one. Right? Uh, these are the so only two. These are the, the, the first one you pointed to was the uh, the Good Rise Wear Black, yep. and the uh, second one was the uh, the World's uh, Colombian Coffee Exposition. Yep, yep. So both with Chicago ties, both by different artists, but these cans really kind of embody like a life of their own. So even though when we switched to Hot Butcher from South Loop and you know we had approached Dan about being our house artist. We still have mad love for these two and, and the work that they did. So these are literally the only two cans that we do that aren't Dan Jetsa's work. Everything else is Dan Jetsa and has that that look and feel, but every time we come back to Good Rise or World's Columbian, we're using we're using the original art that was done for these beers. So we're lucky to have Dan, as you could see on, on, sometimes, you know, we're like, hey, we're envisioning a can with just scratch board lettering. Can you make it say blazed orange? And, you know, he gives us this, or other times we're like, you know what? I'm not sure what I'm envisioning Mellotron to be, but like we just kind of envision like a teal can, something that felt tropical, and he gives us, you know, what Mellotron turned out. So we really like his own interpretation of some of the names and, and ingredients that we use. And other times we're like, no, your wish is granted. It's got to be that, that fortune teller from the movie Big. Like, <laughs> yeah. you, you got to give it to us. And then he gives us that and he just nails it. You, you know, get like, that right off. Yeah, yeah I mean, cool. like we have so much. So, so when you pair that with a long list of, of hop combinations and a long list of name ideas that we just can't wait to put on a beer. And we're like, you know what? All of a sudden, Amarillo, Simcoe, and Southern Passion or whatever that's got to be Hopological Insulator or whatever name we haven't used yet. And we're like, hey, Dan, here's the name of the beer. Here's what we're going to do. Like, what do you think? And he spits something out at us that is just always awesome. He's um, incredibly talented. I mean, just looking at the artwork that we see here before us. And you guys got to go online and check it out if you don't have anything local. It is truly an amazing set of uh, artwork. Well, award winning. Uh, you know, he's won some awards for yeah, some of so these, uh, beer can labels. Two Flat, which we don't have on the table and Milk Stachio both one like USA Today does like a top 10 label around the country type thing which we were both in the top 10 for, for those two beers. Dun 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 uh, got a nod from <laughs> from the uh, Beverage Tasting name. Institute so like we try to I mean they're little they're like little the cans are like little pieces of artwork that you can walk around with at a bar or your house like and a lot of people pour it into glass which is super respectable too but we try to make some beers that you, you know you enjoy drinking out of the can and if you're at a party and 
someone's like, hey, that orange can is shiny and looks awesome. What is that? Then, then the packaging is doing its job too. But I can't stress enough how lucky we are to have have Dan on our side because he's awesome. It's one of those fun things where uh, the beer industry has gone from the bottle to the can, and now you guys have made the the can look sexy. And uh, I, I'm you're making not... me blush, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure there's a sexier can than that. The World Columbian Exposition. Yeah, this Can is. Can you our, tell us about this beer? This is our 10% Imperial Coffee Stout. You know, I think maybe at one point some. Someone might shake their head at caning up a beer this big, but I feel like when we when we dove into the idea of cans, like it didn't feel right to have a bunch of beers in cans and then switch back to the bottle. And I know a lot of breweries do that. I respect the heck out of that, but it just it didn't feel like us. So we said, screw it, let's put it in a can. I think Oscar and- Blues is on board with you. <laughs> Right. And, and, you know, nod to them for, for, for paving the way for brewers like us to do that. But the artwork's inspired by a, like a monogram that I saw when I was, when we were talking about this name and this idea of, of using a different Colombian bean and, and roast every year. And that being the only variable that we switched in and out, but it was always an Imperial coffee stout, something that spoke you know, very Chicago-centric to us, as well as relaying that type of information that it was going to be Colombian coffee and it was going to present whatever that year's bean and roast would, would be. Just it all kind of came together, and it, it's obviously inspired by the World's Fair, the World's Colombian Exposition. I'm like, let's just spell Colombian the way Colombians like to spell it, and let's throw coffee in there and see how it goes. So we started digging into the history surrounding that fair, which... So to paraphrase Alex, that beer's not going to drink itself. (laughs) (laughs) Are you thirsty? I'm sorry. I get sidetracked here. You know, you do a lot of Googling. You look at pictures. The Devil in the White City is, is an awesome book if you haven't read it, and it's all about that fair, and oh, yeah. sadly H. H. some Holmes murders and, too, but yeah. like it is about it is about that fair. Um, What's a world fair without some murder, right? So <laughs> we murdered a bunch of coffee beans to make this beer. Well, they died doing the Lord's work, so. <laughs> we, Holy cow. We wanted this one to be big and bold. We wanted it to be chewy. Nailed we wanted it. to exhibit that coffee in a very upfront way. We wanted it to have a little bit of like a coffee with cream flavor so having uh, that chewiness and creaminess kind of all interplay at the same time but feature the bean which last year was maybe a little bit more bold this year we went with a lighter roast and uh, we we added i think a little bit more like cherry notes and dark fruit that plays a lot off of the malts that we use in this beer as well so we're pretty uh we're pretty bold with how we add the coffee it's it's basically a it's a dry hop it's ground coffee that we we steep in the beer and we recirculate that and carb it with it in there and then we give it time to relax and and settle out but uk uk phoenix brings those molasses notes hbc 472 which is the experimental hop we were geeking out over before brings a little bit of the same those those coffee notes the chocolate notes but also rumoredly some barrel aging character without the barrel aging so that's incredible that's coming from the hops that's yeah. a, that little bit of yeah yeah the kind of vanilla notes exactly. i think is what what it's kind of uh replicating there is that that the vanilla notes of the barrel and the, a little bit of oak flavor 
I'm a believer. I, you know, sometimes you don't know if that stuff is mnemonic or not. Like you say, you, you put strawberry on the can. People think it tastes like strawberry, and some people do. But when I first heard of this hop and I read that, you know, that it exhibited some barrel characteristics and occasionally a little coconut along with that molasses, I was like, we have to use this in a stout. How much of it can I pick up? The fun thing about this beer, like I said, is the variable that we switch the coffee bean. It's always a Colombian bean, but we try to pick a different lot or, you know, a different farm. And then we play around with different roasts and try and pick the one we like the most. We will sell the whole bean coffee alongside this beer. So you can buy like a bag of whole bean coffee and then you could buy the four pack and and really kind of geek out with us over our pour overs or however you make your coffee. The other thing is that before we brewed the 30 barrels of this that we put in cans, we brewed 15 barrels of the same beer and we put it into barrel, which before you guys leave, we'll show you next door our, our... our start to the barrel aging program for Hot Butcher, but we have it in some rye whiskey barrels. We have it in some Buffalo Trace bourbon barrels. And then we bought two test barrels, one being peach brandy and one being apple brandy that we are going to keg up and and maybe bring to a fest and see what people think of it. So we definitely want to do more barrel aging. And we feel like, you know, Justin is a big fan of, of barley wines. And he talked about his previous job where he did some pastry stouts and he did some, some really nice stouts. We felt like we not only found a brewer who played with that same, you know, hazy, juicy New England style a lot, but he also can help us raise our stout game, you know, our dark beer game. So we felt, hey, you know, we got some cool beers with the pistachio milk stout and this imperial coffee stout, but we feel like we need, we have yet to unlock, you know, that dark beer potential of Hot Butcher that, that we're, we feel pretty strongly he's going to help us with so so as we always do we like to encourage our listeners to interact with the podcast and if they have a question for us we have a listener question for you today from sergio a his twitter handle is at sergio 07 what up sergio (laughs) and he asks what is your favorite beer that you've brewed and uh, what's your favorite local brewery that you like to go to when you're obviously not drinking hot butcher Right on. So I'll start with the beer. For favorite one that we brewed, he asked? Favorite brew that you, yeah, favorite beer that you have brewed. All right. That's like asking what's your favorite child. I know. I mean, you I love know, them all. I'm going to give but you. But we all, we all have our favorites. First of all, thanks for having a question for us. That's cool. I'm going to answer that with two beers, if that's okay. Can I do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? You can have twins. All right. I'm going to go with Grid. <laughs> Uh, it was a pale ale we did about a year ago that we're about to do now, uh, soonish. We're about to brew it soon. It's just, it, it's actually one of the first beers, right as we were getting into the New England style, one of the things you do to create that haze and those flavors is to hop the beer, to dry hop it when you're when you're fermenting still. It's called biotransformation. We kind of joke about being practicing biotransformationists. <laughs> <laughs> we intended for this beer to be a hoppy pale, but not to be hazy, right? Not to be opaque. So we kept the protein low and we hopped fermentation anyway. And then we let it, we let it clear up. And it just ended up being this like five and three quarter percent ABV Citra and Mosaic hopped dank pale ale. Like we talked about at the beginning of the podcast about like just sitting down and having something low ABV and just like being able to drink three or four of them and not get you know, not ruin yeah. the next day. Not, not getting tweaked. And right. That. that was that beer for me. The second answer to that question, knowing that we've been able to play with a lot of fun hops and do some cool stuff recently, we did a collaboration with Miskatonic called The Beer That Should Not Be, and we were able to use Medusa hops 
for the first time, which the long story behind those hops is that it took me two and a half years to get some. You know, I had heard about them, and then the, the long story short, the, the farmer pulled them out of the ground because the agronomics of this hop were just garbage, and then they were replanting. I'm thinking in my head, like, some brewer somewhere in the country has these in, in their cooler. Eventually, long story short, we found them, and we were able to use them. They're a, a Neo-Mexicanus. It's an American wild hop. And the fun thing about these hops is that, you know, certainly the suspense of not being able to get them and finally get them and then being able to use them was that when we rubbed them on brew day, we were super disappointed. Like we were like this, you know, when you open up your grandma's spice rack over the holidays and you're like, wow, I can't tell if that's pepper or it's like something sweet or like, what is that? Like it was just very like herbal and spicy. And we were thinking to ourselves, you know what, if, if it tastes like this and smells like this on the back end, we're going to have to add a lot of citra and mosaic to over, overpower that. Three days into fermentation, that it tasted like a guava bomb. Oh, it was wow. just tropical to no end. But it had this flavor that had just blew my mind in ways that I hadn't had a hoppy beer that tasted like that. Hmm. So the fact that we used it in a, like a New England style, the fact that it was a collaboration with some good friends of ours, but really it was that hop that we I'd never experienced what it smelled or tasted like before, and it was just delicious. So that that would be my second answer to that question. Justin just joined us. You want to ask him that question too? Yeah, so uh, <laughs> Justin, no, as and we should let our listeners know, Jeremiah is cracking the whip on the newest employee <laughs> and forcing Justin to work during our podcast, doing the Lord's work, as we like to say, though. But, uh, Justin, the question for you is, do you, even in your short time here, have a favorite beer that you've brewed? And when you're not drinking Hot Butcher for the World, what's your favorite local brewery? The first part of that question, I have to say that I think my favorite beer that I've been here and been a part of slash ever tried from us is uh, the Jewels, actually. I... I'm really digging uh, the way that that Vic Secret comes through in that beer. Pairing it with a hop like Mosaic that already has a lot of natural like fruit notes like blueberry, the Vic Secret really shines. Uh, I've been in love with Vic Secret ever since I I believe either it was Vic Secret or Enigma that's in the uh, the Oscar Blues like Blue Dream IPA or whatever. I remember cracking one of those open like six months after it, I had had it and it had been sitting in a in the fridge and it still tasted just as fantastic as it did day one, which was kind of blew my mind. And I remember hearing somewhere that it was dry hopped with uh, Vic Secret, and I could be totally wrong on that one, but uh, I just loved like the amount of like grassy strawberry like pininess that came from it. So when I I was uh, t- I I'm, I dry hopped the jewels, I unfortunately didn't get to brew it. I wasn't here in time for that one, but I dry hopped it. And I remember going through the process of tasting it and being like, wow, this one's going to be one that you know people are really excited about. That perfect blend of strawberry, blueberry dank grassy like pininess and it has a very unique finish and when it's warmed up it just all comes at you like almost like too intensely i, I love it just as for when i'm not it's drinking a hop slap in the face yeah it really is it really is a uh i had oh, a, right <laughs> i had kind of a, a warm one in the movie theater the other day and it was just like whoa this is like way more intense than Did i he thought. just indict <laughs> himself on Wait, sneaking yeah, wh- beer into the movie theater <laughs> It wasn't me. It was, uh, it was someone else. I found it. Yeah. 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 That's not like a box of Mike and Ike. <laughs> well, the best part, it was, it was that, that movie, A Quiet Place, right? So I, I was trying to find a good time to crack nice. the can Ooh, throughout the movie. A, a movie and, that's uh, spoiler alert, there is the no can. good time to crack the can. But yeah, no, it, it worked out the, pretty well. You had well. to do the cough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's a couple moments in the movie where they have to make a loud sound. So if you can time it right, you know, you can, you can open a can in the theater. Uh, I don't know the exact time, so I can't really help anyone out. But awesome. yeah, as for favorite local brewery, 
half acre that's yep. that's my jam ditto um, you know i they make one of my favorite beers the beer formerly known as sanita formerly known as hayoka mm-hmm. uh, i love that beer <laughs> when it first now, came right? out it's gone away now yeah you know it would be my favorite beer that gets its name changed three times <laughs> but uh yeah yeah no I, I love it i love it i echo justin on half acre i mean it's hard to be a, a lover of hops and like pale ales and ipas and not just respect the hell out of what they do but it's also vallejo time which is, oh, I think, yeah. one of the bombest beers I've ever drank in my life. And I, I look forward every single year when that beer comes back. It's a beautiful can. It's an even be- more beautiful beer on the inside. And, yeah, just really good people, too. You know, like if, if you go over there and you meet them, whether you're at a festival or you're just walking into their tap room, from the founder on down um, to the person sweeping their floors. And I can't claim to know everybody there, but everybody I've met from Half Acre has been a top qu- top-notch quality person so we uh we draw a little inspiration from them as well and in, in in terms of who we are and what we're brewing and, and what we hope to be when when we grow up and we're the size <laughs> and age of half acre so and uh, for our listeners who are interested uh, you can go back and listen to episode seven it was one of you know our very early episodes uh, sitting down with kelly and matt from half acre a fantastic conversation fantastic people we've really enjoyed speaking with you guys as well uh thank, thank you again you. for inviting us to the brewery and uh, cracking open all these beers <laughs> thank you quite, guys for making this trip i yeah, know it's, this is, uh, you made really the drive uh, listen this has been on our uh, bucket list for a while now and for you guys to open up uh, your place for us and share your amazing beers with us we thank you well thank you we um you guys are welcome anytime we can every tuesday and wednesday if you guys want to help can we're, we, we will take you up we're on we're brewing on the weeks we're not canning and justin is not always doing it by himself <laughs> so if you want to shovel some grain or you just want to dump some hops into the kettle you're always welcome to mm-hmm. uh come do that and based on you know how we've been kicking out beers like we'll have some fresh beers for you guys to try as well but you know, i guess like on a hot take note i was exchanging some emails with bj at bernhardt's Okay. Um, and I know you've talked to BJ as well. I mentioned oh, yeah. a couple times Sounds that like we, have some we, breaking do, news here. we do have our self-distro license for Wisconsin that we've used, but not consistently. We kick some beer to Discount Liquors. Uh, shout yeah. out to Marie. And we, I've been back and much like I've been back and forth with you guys about hopefully doing this someday for a long time. I've been talking back and forth with BJ and I think he's, uh, we finally got to a point where, you know, it's it's time that we, we get some kegs up that way. We get some cans up that way. And it might not be the steady stream that our home base sees here but i think it it makes sense and i think we got some some mutual excitement you know ahead of us so i guess watch for uh watch for burn hearts and hot butcher and discount liquor and announcements because i think i think we'll be bringing some beer over the border really breaking soon news. So. breaking news that sounds that's amazing cool. and uh, I, I just moved uh, just south of bernhard so uh, nice. i will be there i will be love there that place <laughs> whatever release there is i'll be yeah there. we've got some pretty awesome stuff coming down the pipeline and you know we were talking earlier about all the different types of new beers we have coming out. I think this is going to be a month that really showcases a bunch of the, the newer beers we have coming out. So It's funny. Craft Beer Week brings out some crazy and some exciting stuff. So we, we try to showcase what we're all about all in one month and then really keep keep cranking from there on out. We're recording in April here, so there's going to be some really fun stuff. And I, I assume the same with May, same with June. You oh, guys yeah. <laughs> it, it, you guys seem to uh, turn over your catalog pretty regularly, and that is that is fun. As, as beer fun. drinkers and beer collectors, we are having fun with it. But it looks like we are out of beer for, for today, for now, <laughs> until we head back to that bright tank and yep. uh, take some samples. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, for me, for today, for Alex. Jesus. 
for Jeremiah. <laughs> and Justin. I'm Jim. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks for having us. This has been another Solid Non-Fail production. Yeah.